It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to another big edition of reliving the war my name is nims azor joined always by simon tackler my co-host it is the show where we do exactly what it says in the description we relive the monday night wars and uh, we're slowly ticking off pay-per-views in 1997 and both on the wwf and wcw side they've delivered to an extent, wouldn't you agree, Simon? Yeah, I think to an extent is a, a good uh, asterisk to put on this one because the show we watched was entertaining to a point and I think what really stood out is that it wasn't too long. So, mm. you know, e- even the worst bits, you're like, oh, at least I know it'll be over in an hour. So that was comforting. Exactly. It was a it was a bit of a, a transition sort of pay-per-view too because we're seeing more and more that Stone Cold Steve Austin is becoming just an absolute superstar. Now, here's the fun thing too, because we relive the war because Simon, you and I, we actually grew up in the 90s. We're both off the same vintage, you know, 80s babies, grow up in the 90s and remember the glory days. Like for us, we actually lived the Monday Night Wars, but we kind of forget that there are people that didn't back in the day. Yeah, that's right. So it's always fun when we have a guest on who didn't necessarily live through it the same way that we did. And our guest on this week's episode is a good friend of mine. He's been a a guest on some of our previous podcasts, so I'm glad that he's joining us on Reliving the War. Nick Brown, he's one of the hosts of the Backbone Takeover podcast, which you can find at backbonetakeover.com.au. Nick, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you guys for having me. I feel like I'm already getting bullied by saying that I did not live the Attitude Era or the Monday Night Wars, but I'm a ruthless aggression baby till I die. Oh, that's what we like to hear, man. A a severely underrated uh, segment of the population there, I can tell you. So just for those joining for the first time, Nick, what's your your knowledge of the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars? Because uh, being a ruthless aggression person, you know, you clearly obviously jumped into the fandom when there was no such thing as a Nitro and you'd see randos like Garrison Cade and maybe the occasional Lance Storm appearance. So, so my dad got me into wrestling. Um, he showed me a SmackDown episode and Kurt Angle was on it. And my dad loved Kurt Angle at the time. This is back when everybody hated Kurt Angle kind mm-hmm. of. And uh, so I got behind Kurt and I also loved The Rock. And the first pay-per-view I ever remember was WrestleMania 17, which people consider the peak the of greatest, wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, and because of that, I hated Stone Cold. And I never liked Stone Cold until I got to like, probably 25 years old, only a couple of years ago. And I kind of started to get it because he took on my man, The Rock. And after that, I kind of was hooked. Um, I loved the Dudley boys. I didn't know why they were more than one title. I thought there was, should be only one title. And I didn't know why there was two guys holding two belts for a while. But that was weird. And uh, I don't know. I, I loved Rico. I loved Jimmy Wang Yang. And uh, I just got hooked on it. I don't know what it is. I got hooked on the weirdest wrestlers. 
That's probably the equivalent of Nims and I loving D'Lo Brown and Val Venus. Like it makes yeah. no sense to people younger than us, but we're like, no, yeah. they were great. <laughs> and, and forever we'll be telling people because like, I remember Rico was actually really, really over. Like he was yes. a really big part of like three minute warning, a really big part of Billy and Chuck. Like you forget that Rico, even when he was teamed up with, uh, with Jackie as well, he was also like considered one of those stars. And to mention that now, people are like, what are you talking about? Simon's exactly right. You know, when you mentioned like, oh, you know what? I didn't really mind too many of those boss man VL snow matches back in <laughs> 1999. So it, it's it's funny that you've got that as a reference point. But you know what? We, we decided we're going to make you do a little bit of work before you get on the pod and help us review and go through uh, WWF in your house, a cold day in hell. Uh, i tell you what, Simon, they've really, it, it seems like what's old is new again, because we're seeing a lot of uh promotions go back to the old let's use a sentence as a as a name for as a show i like it i think we need more of that like i get it the one word like backlash this year they were like no wrestlemania backlash so yeah we are getting back to the the wordier pay-per-view names and i'm all for it a cold day in hell you know what you're getting it's steve austin because he's cold and it's the Undertaker because he's from hell. Like, he's from hell. Yeah. yeah, it makes perfect. It makes perfect sense. So we start off with the the great little WWF intro, which we all know and love. Uh, with the, the for over fifty years, the world's greatest bloody 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 blah. Now this is the bit that sort of stood out to me because now for you and I, Simon, we've noticed the gradual change where it goes into the Attitude Era from the old school sort of three color ropes, you know, like welcome everyone to the World Wrestling Federation, da 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 da. But we're we're sort of seeing a bit of a darker edge to the presentation at the moment. We've still got the houses for um in your house, but we've got the raw ramp and we've got the raw red ropes back in here. Now, did you pick that one up when you as one of the first things that stood out to you? It actually didn't stand out to me at all. I didn't even notice that it was red ropes on this pay-per-view. Was this the first red rope pay-per-view? I think so, because the previous pay-per-view still had the old school blue apron uh, with World Wrestling Federation, all of that sort of stuff. Now, Nick, I'll turn to you here, because when you first got that intro, now we know how polished a WWE intro is, especially from... Uh, back in the day, like even from 2002 when they got the F out and prior to that when they were doing like superstars and all that, it was very polished, very good. We've often linked, uh, Simon and I have often linked intros to shows in this era as something that a year 10 media project would look like. <laughs> what was your first reaction when you saw that? Uh, it was something that was, it was kind of out of this world. It was a, it was a blast from the past for sure. Cause I don't really go back and watch those in your house shows. Um, I saw Undertaker with a very good looking cowboy hat on and uh, <laughs> just kind of like these two, it was, all, it was just like the best of both worlds, like Hannah Montana style, but in the worst kind of way, you got Stone Cold talking over the Undertaker's music kind of thing. Um, it's also Mother's Day, sorry, on mm-hmm. this pay-per-view. It was fantastic. They keep mentioning it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was I like, I, don't, I, want, I wanted to call my mum at one stage and just let, let her know. <laughs> and, but it, it was, um, um, it was something. It was like a it was like a smoothie, but I don't know if it was a good smoothie. Yeah, it, it was pretty interesting to sort of see. Like, I loved how they mentioned, like, it's Mother's Day. Thanks for inviting us in your house this Mother's Day. Be good to your mother. <laughs> it was it was almost Mr. T like the level of love that was shown towards people's mothers, um, which makes a little bit of sense there. Simon, this is a, a, another one that was unusual to me. Well, not unusual, but it stood out. They ran through the entire card. They. They've never done that before in a WWF pay-per-view. I think we noticed that's a real WCW thing. 
cut to the announcers and they'll run down the card because on Nitro, they would never tell you what the pay-per-view was. WWE did a better job of telling you what the matches were going to be on the pay-per-view. But yeah, this was uh, the odd time where it cut to King and JR and they told you all of the matches. And you know what? I don't mind it. This wasn't a long show. So they sort of had time to tell you not just the main event, but every match. I think it's okay. Yeah, I think it was fine, but it was just such an a different thing. Again, Vince McMahon not on commentary as well for a, a second consecutive pair for you as we sort of see that transition of him towards, um, you know, the, the Mr. McMahon sort of thing. But at this point in time, we don't know. We start off with Flash Funk versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Um, Nick, I'm going to throw it straight to you here because so Simon and I have watched a couple of, uh, well, we've watched since King of the Ring 1996 in consecutive order. So when you check in and see Flash Funk versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley, first impressions. Like Flash Funk looks like like an evil Knievel kind of wannabe at the st- uh, with his ring gear looks fantastic. Um, also, the Funkettes weren't out there, which was a bit upsetting. Um, I don't know who the Funkettes were. I don't know if they're like a prototype of the Funkadactyls. Maybe <laughs> I'm not sure if Brodus Clay was supposed to be in this match. I'm not, and even Triple H, like Triple H, recently put all his entrance music on vinyl. I remember, and I remember like thinking, oh, should I get it? And I remember listening to all the songs and this was one of them. And like, I don't mind uh, this, this like old Hunter Hearst Helmsley entrance theme, but I don't know if, don't know if it's something I'm going to blast on my speakers as much as like the game or the King of Kings. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's certainly very, very different there. Look, we get into a, a fairly pedestrian sort of match, uh, but there we kind of see a little bit here, Simon, a few of the Triple H-isms that are coming through. He's no longer the, he's still the Connecticut Blue Blood, but we see a little bit of his DX personality come in here. Yeah, it creeps so slowly. I think we first notice him drop the accent uh, Survivor Series 96, He just suddenly wasn't British anymore, and he was like, you know, I'm going to kick your butt. We're seeing it bit by bit. It really feels like he doesn't want to do it anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. even the way he's walking to the ring is more casual. Everything is a little bit more casual. There's a bit more attitude in there. I think China helps the presentation of Triple H so much. Like, without her, I don't think Triple H gets to where he does just a few months later with DX. Like, she's a huge part of it. Um, although we're, we're now in the um, sort of limbo of Triple H's character because he clearly doesn't want to be the blue blood anymore, but goddamn JR won't let it go. On commentary, <laughs> there was a couple of moments. He was like, oh, Triple H is an aristocrat. He's best friends with JFK Jr., no, he's not. <laughs> and then later, he's like, oh, Triple H is best friends with Kathy Lee Gifford. In fact, she's his next-door neighbour in Connecticut. <laughs> no, she's not. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's really funny that JR would not let it go, and Triple H is clearly leaving that in the past. Which it's is also- actually... Yeah. Uh, well, well what, what's actually really cool about that is this is something that he doesn't drop ever because he all if you notice he always refers to triple h as helmsley (laughs) even all the way through the the uh the ruthless aggression era and through the reign of terror uh, he always refers to him as like helmsley's doing this my god the son of a bitch god go how could you like it's just so bad but what were you about to say actually i was just gonna say as well to be fair to triple h he did live the gimmick because he eventually moved to connecticut for real when he married into (laughs) the the mcmahon family so there you go he became the gimmick 
I was gonna I was gonna say that um you're talking about Triple H dropping his accent randomly and then you fast forward what 12, 13 years later and he calls out Kofi Kingston for not having his Jamaican accent <laughs> and then, then Kofi drops his accent and then Kofi Mania happens. What a great time. I wish oh. Kofi called out Triple H in that moment. <laughs> but didn't you used to be French or whatever? Like yeah. Kofi's like three years old at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now this match, uh like to me seemed fairly pedestrian it wasn't exactly the best advertisement or opener however that's in terms of in-ring action storyline wise they are really really setting china up as a massive threat here i I also happen to notice too when they were talking about china that like geez there's some stuff you could say in 1997 that you cannot say in 2021 yeah yeah well like king asking jr let me ask you briefs or boxes for china and then JR fires back, ask Eddie Murphy. He might know more than me. And if you're yeah. too young to get that reference, Eddie oh. Murphy basically was caught with an escort who was um, trans. So yeah. oh, <laughs> what an change that was. He also says at one stage, uh, uh, King does, because King has most of the one-liners throughout, especially stuff that wouldn't hang in 2021, uh, says, nice chin, Jay Leno, eat your heart out, talking about China. <laughs> about China. And I was like, oh, Jesus, King. Like even, even stuff he said back in like 2016 didn't fly too much, but that's mm. pretty crazy. This one, there's even a Donald Trump joke in there as well. Yes. I think I picked that one up as well. Uh, in fact, but so at, at the end of the day, um, Flash Funk, AKA two called Scorpio. He's counting lights. He loses, but this is a very, very big push for China. The the only positive thing that China, like as in complimentary by commentary, is when JR refers to her as a a cyborg female. Jeez. That's about Which, as nice as you can get. <laughs> and that is literally the nicest. Yeah, you're right, because that's all we can sort of get to. So, look, not a bad opener, not a great one by any stretch or means here. But um, so, Nick, that's your first introduction to a match of the not quite attitude era, the transition to attitude era. Yeah. What was your takeaways? Um, I had a few, like one of them was that, you know, Triple H does the high, the running high knee a few times. And it's so fun. It's interesting to see like the prototypes to what we know of, as those kind of moves and just the way people sell moves. Cause like mm-hmm. you see the way Flash Funk sells it. It's just kind of like, he just kind of falls back. But once it got to about 2001, 2002, everyone kind of sold it a different way. The pedigree looks a little bit weird. Um, they also do a weird camera cut uh, right before the pedigree where you can barely see it for this match. It's very, very strange. Uh, it's a, it's a decent showing. Um, a lot of, of a, a lot of uh, Triple H's offense is pretty bland at this stage, but you could tell it's a, it is a lot more of a character work. And the camera, the amount of times the camera cuts to China, you can really see how much they are trying to push her as an absolute megastar. Oh, yeah, it is ridiculous the push behind China. And and to be fair, like take aside all the snide and absolute borderline un-PC comments from uh, JR and King, they do sell her as a hell of a threat. Um, We we then get on to our next little segment part, which this is kind of unique to me because you see some UFC footage of Ken Shamrock before they go to the weird interview that King and JR do from from commentary to Shamrock on the video wall. Simon, did you have any memory of this even happening? This stood out to me so much, the fact that WWE would just show UFC footage and be okay with it. Like, they were on friendly terms. It's really weird when people think WWE, you know, oh, never works with other promotions. 
they were fine with working with people that they didn't see as a threat. So mm. UFC at the time was this really sort of niche thing. It wasn't what it is now. Nobody really knew in the mainstream how big it would get. So that was odd. And then, yeah, the odd, we're going to sit at our table and talk to Ken on the screen. That was weird. And, hey, talk about China being a cyborg woman. Ken Shamrock was a cyborg man in this promo. <laughs> this was as robotic as it gets. Oh, Yeah. This was just absolutely strange here too. Uh, Nick, what, what were some of your memories of um, of Ken Shamrock? Because he was long gone during the uh, Ruthless Aggression era. In fact, I think his last appearance was in 2000, give or take. And uh, then, of course, he made his re-emergence in wrestling by um, becoming the first NWA TNA champ uh, for TNA's first show back in 2002. So what are your, was this one of the first times you've seen Shamrock in action? I've heard of Shamrock a lot. I've seen, obviously, highlights of him and people talk about him very fondly. I've seen a couple of his matches with The Rock uh, once he gets a bit more developed. But uh, seeing him at this kind of raw, and I guess I guess green in terms of the promo side of things, because it was such a strange moment where, I don't know, if, if you're in the crowd, what do you do? Do you boo yeah. and cheer? Like, I don't know if he's a heel or a face. I have no clue what he is. And, like, that's half, half the thing. Like, half the guys in this in, on this card, I'm like, who's who's the good guy here? What, what are we fighting for? Is this Avengers Endgame or what? <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely really really odd it's it's almost like they're selling him it's like this is ken shamrock remember ufc champion ken <laughs> shamrock in an era when no one really knows what the ufc is it's like no no no. this is ken it's it's and as simon mentioned yeah the wwe at this point in time loved working with promotions that they didn't see a threat which we will see later on i think it's maybe uh, late 98, early 99, when for some reason NWA belts <laughs> decide to start making appearances on Monday Night Raw. But look, we we, we then get a little, uh, little recap of what happens there. And then we get a very, very bland promo from The Rock. Now, The Rock is sporting his WWF Warzone PlayStation 1 attire here, <laughs> as, as we can all see. He sort of ditched the, the Jerry curls a little bit and he's slowly and by slowly i'm talking at like a glacier rate <laughs> making the metamorphosis towards the rock you're a big rock dude nick when you see this undercooked dwayne johnson what what do you think i've never seen the rock stutter like at, at the start of the promo he skips over a couple of words and he has to like redo them and i like you know to know what the rock came into just like yeah you know, catchphrase city he just kind of came up with catchphrase every second night it was really odd and like i've obviously i we all know about you know his debut and everybody rejecting him and everything like that and, you know they're talking about how he won the ic title and lost it to owen hart a couple of weeks before this pay-per-view and i'm like okay i don't know who he's fighting but i'm, I'm assuming he's gonna win you know get that win back but uh, that didn't even happen. So I don't know what's going on with the rock. I don't know when he's going to pop off. And like, yeah, it was, um, it was very much, he was still a boy at this stage. He still hadn't quite become a man or the, the Brahma bull, I guess, as we all know him as. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on there. And this one sort of stood out only for what these two guys will lead, uh, will eventually become. Cause it's the first of a clash in pay-per-view. It's, I think it's actually the first of a clash, Simon, between the rock and mankind. Um, and they don't, quite gel together which is really weird when you consider how intertwined the histories eventually become yeah one of the defining feuds of the attitude era starts here and it's not great um i, I watching the promo before the match though my only thought was 
I wish Todd Pettingill was still with the company in the Attitude Era because I think we're all learning looking back and even the way NXT has incorporated him again. Todd Pettingill is one of the best broadcasters to ever work for the WWE. He's so good. And The Rock was so good at these kind of promos just, you know, a year or so later. I would have loved to have seen what they could have done. But anyway, as for the match, the crowd is so quiet. So to think yeah. that one of the loudest pops of all time happened when these two would wrestle, uh, you know, a year and a little bit later, it's wild to think. I thought the last couple of minutes of the match were good, though. There were some good moments, including The Rock doing a rock bottom on the steel stage. That was yep. the first moment where The Rock was unnecessarily violent to Mick Foley because that would become a trend. You're yeah. like, hey, <laughs> leave Mick Foley alone, and that was the first time. So, yeah, got good there. Yeah, pretty spot on. Uh, it was a pretty interesting match, and it's only because both of these two would become such huge titans. Uh, did you think it was weird, Nick, when you see The Rock pull out some aerial moves? <laughs> Yeah, I, I know he has pulled out a few crossbodies in his time. I love the finish to this match, actually, the so crossbody into, uh, into the mandible claw. I thought that was awesome. Um, a couple of my favorite commentary lines, uh, somebody, I don't know which one of them said this, uh, Mankind was jumping off the ropes of buildings onto his classmates as a child. I don't know where he went to school. I don't know what building he's jumping off. I know what I'm supposed to say, don't try this at home. I guess they weren't going through that slogan at that time because they're just basically telling you what to do. And also they were going through about the, um, the Mankind Undertaker few that I think just wrapped up and mm -hmm. uh, Undertaker burnt the round face of Paul Bearer. I don't know why we have to bring in the round face of Paul Bearer, <laughs> but you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat, uh, King. <laughs> uh, but it, it was a it was a strange old match, this. And I, I will give props as Simon did to that rock bottom because mankind really elevates himself for that that uh that smack on the back of the head. It really makes you feel like he's he's hurt on that one. Mm, it probably wouldn't surprise me if there was one of the many concussions uh, that Mick Foley would have in his WWF career. Also started with that one. On the topic, because you did touch on that, Nick, about the um, the, the Taker slash um, Mankind feud, because that went for how long would you say something? About six months? Oh, absolutely. What month are we in here? We're in May. It started in around May 96. Maybe it was a whole year. But, well, it's a bit before SummerSlam because... It's got to be after King of the Ring because um, Goldust is taking on Taker in one of those papers. So, yeah, the fact that we it's it's hard to pinpoint where this started and also the gratuitous use of fire in that paper <laughs> <laughs> with that fuse. Just crazy. Um, is, that not, is that not an, a year or so before their Hell in a Cell match as well? Because that was King of the Ring 98, correct? Yeah, we're a year away yeah. from that. That's yeah. mental. Like they were, they were doing that. They were feuding in '96 through '97 and '98. They had the one of the most iconic matches in WWE history. Yeah, they've said they've already said you know, prior to Undertaker throwing um, mankind off the top of the cell, they've already set each other on fire at some <laughs> yeah. point in time. <laughs> so we haven't even scratched the tip of the iceberg. Oh, and yet. mankind so, has already buried the Undertaker alive <laughs> yes, two years yes. prior to the match. So it was revenge for getting buried. He was like, "I'm going to throw you off this cage." So <laughs> that um, at the time that they they actually show the uh, the fireball that mankind gives to the Undertaker, and uh, seeing that like perfect perfectly timed, looked great. And then you see from like the ultimate warrior Hulk Hogan a yeah. few years later in WCW and you're like, no. oh, okay, that's how you're supposed to do it. And that's how you're not supposed to do it. No, no, no. See, Nick, 
That is the brilliance of the WWE's editing team. We thought that too. <laughs> we watched the pay-per-view happen. It is just as bad as no. Hogan and Warrior, yep. but they yep. never they never talk about it. It's never what? in any doco. We were watching it unfold. They can't get the lighter. Undertaker they can't get the lighter? To grab it and like do it himself. It's so awkward. But anyway, Meanwhile, great job. <laughs> Meanwhile, in there too, Paul Bearer is just like cowering in the corner, like, are, are you gonna? It makes it makes the Rico yelling at Jeff Hardy at Survivor Series 2002 seem like Jeff Hardy had the most instantaneous reaction on the planet. <laughs> That's how long Paul Bearer is cowering in the corner, like, I, I, do you want me to like maybe maybe we should have a Zippo lighter here or something, guys? But um, we then we then turn into a raw recap which sort of sets up the story that Ahmed Johnson versus the nation of domination here. The raw recap is just hilarious to me because it's the Rory's war set. So clearly we're, we're, we're fully investing into the attitude era, but it's just crushed defeating a bunch of jobbers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, like, he just, and this is a, this is like towards the tail end of Crush's WWF run. Like you forget that he was such a huge megastar well before the Attitude Era. I'm talking like in the the demolition slash the glory days, uh, the steroid days, if you will, to put it <laughs> way more accurately. But um, we then get into the Nation of Domination versus Ahmed Johnson match. Now Ahmed Johnson has said that he's going to take on all three members of the Nation of Domination here. Now is it just me? So. Nick, because you haven't seen the previous sort of ones, so what would normally happen is the Nation of Dash, uh, the Nation of Domination would come out, and the two rappers PG thirteen would rap the theme song over the top. Yep. You probably picked a bad theme, uh, a bad paper to check in here because I don't know about you, Simon, but did it seem like PG thirteen just could not be bothered even <laughs> performing that night? Yeah, they're getting worse and worse as it goes. Like, they were just sort of talking. They weren't really in rhythm. I think when it comes to wrestlers who rap, they might be near the bottom of that list. Nick, what about you? Um, look, I'm a, I'm a huge hip-hop fan, and I wouldn't put them quite in my top 50 of all time, maybe <laughs> top 100. But, uh, yeah, look, it, it felt a little bit off. I I must admit, when I think of Nation Domination, again, this is being a ruthless ruthless aggression kid, I think of, you know, Rock, I think of D'Lo, I think of Mark Henry, I think of Farouk. Mm-hmm. I don't really think of the others. I don't think of the two guys rapping. I have no idea who these people are. And I'm like, okay, like, what? when did this happen? Or is this, did they, I don't even know if they NWO'd it and they just kind of added members until it got mm. too much or what, what was going on. Yeah, to be fair, I don't think even they cared about uh, being in the national <laughs> domination back in uh, mid-1997 there. But look, if we go through the matches, it was Crush versus Ahmed Johnson. Then we had um, Ahmed Johnson taking on Savio Vega. And then we had Farouk versus Ahmed Johnson. All in all, like the first match between Crush and Ahmed Johnson was just awful. Awful, <laughs> awful matches. The uh, like, if you could find a redeeming quality, I'd like to hear it. Like, Simon, could you? What, what did you like? If there wasn't a person there just going, "Oh, what have I done to be subjected to this awful, awful match?" Like, spare okay. me. Just someone pin someone. I'll try and find the positives. Ahmed Johnson got the biggest pop of the night so far. Yes, he yep. was so over in his yep. promo. Even though he gets uh, dogged on for his promos a lot. I love the line where he said about Crush and Savio. He said, oh, you bring him to the party, we might as well dance. That's a great line. Um, mm, he was Bars. also the wettest, shiniest man I've ever seen when he came yeah. out. That was impressive. 
<laughs> the match with Crush was terrible, but the ending was awesome. Crush set up for the heart punch, and Ahmed yes. did like a spin through the the short arm clothesline and gave him like an RVD spin kick. That was yeah. awesome. The match with Savio was terrible, but it was kind of quick. <laughs> the match with Farouk, though, the crowd was really into it. I was starting to get into it, and then I just could not believe. I don't know. I couldn't remember, but I could not believe that Ahmed didn't win the match. You kind of went into it, especially you, Nick, knowing that the Nation of Domination, when the stipulation is if Ahmed Johnson wins <laughs> and the Nation of I Domination disbands. Um, well, well, look, we've seen Loser Leaves Town matches, but knowing, you know, for just history, you kind of went into that, Nick, knowing that, like, okay, so Ahmed loses this one. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was one of those things, like, there was a really great kick out at the end of the match. Um, Farouk kicks out of whatever um, the finisher is. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, yeah, the Pearl River Plunge. Yeah, uh, great, great st- move. No one really uses it anymore. A staple from 1996 and <laughs> early 1997. Yeah, it was a really, really good match. And you're right. Why does no one use that anymore? It's so strange. <laughs> And uh, Ahmed also with that with that kick to Crush also Crush it looks so green. I uh, when you mentioned that he used to be a legend, <laughs> I kind of forgot about all that. I I literally thought this was his first match. It was so bad. It was like Braun Strowman when he first came into the company. Uh, that kick butt that Ahmed gives to him is it reminds me of like when Asuka kicked. I think it was Emma at uh, mm-hmm. Takeover London a few years ago. Like that one, like where it really looks like it connects really nicely. And uh, yeah, like the first two matches are pretty. Pretty mediocre. I'll, I'll give them a little bit. Like I don't know. It's hard to when you're a, a fan of like of today. It's hard to look back on you know stuff from 20 years ago and be too critical on it because you're like, oh, maybe it was just a different time. Maybe maybe that was good for the time period. But I can't really see too many, as you said, redeeming qualities on those uh, on the first two matches there. I could tell you right now. Um, I don't care how silver lining you put it. I never <laughs> want to ever speak about Crush versus Ahmed Johnson as far as there is a breath in my body. Thank you very much. It was bad. <laughs> I actually remember watching this pay-per-view a few years ago and hating this match and just thinking, <laughs> why is it so long? Why doesn't Ahmed just kill the first two guys? Who booked it? But anyway, one thing I want to point out before we move on from this match, Gorilla Monsoon comes out, President yes. Gorilla Monsoon. Mm. And I don't know why, I've never really thought about it, but only in wrestling can you look at an old dignified man who is the president of a sports organization and his name is Gorilla Monsoon. And no one, (laughs) only as a wrestling fan, are you okay with that? But yeah, like president of the NFL, like, I don't know, like Monkey Typhoon. (laughs) You would just be like, oh yeah, that's his name. Like, so weird. Do you, um, during, during the crush match, actually, it was something I noticed, like during it, crush will give um, Ahmed a move and then he'll like signal to the nation to come to the ring. And they've, yeah. already been, they've already been banned. Like they're at the yeah. ramp because, and they give him like the nation, the nation fist in the air thing. And then he'd be like, no, come on, come on, come beat him up. Like, that's not how it works. Like, I don't, I don't know if they didn't understand the rules. I don't know if Crush is at literally wrestling his first match ever. I don't know if you're making this person up who <laughs> used to be a legend. I'm not sure. In case they, Crush is a dumbass because he's <laughs> like, come to the ring. And they're like, but we'd get disqualified and have to disband. Like, yeah, his logic <laughs> yeah. as a character is flawed. That's that's why, okay, I will give the, the one positive note that I've written, and I'm going to read it as verbatim yes. here. Crush wanting the nation to come to the ring is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> because he's very much, he's very much like, you know, like, no, 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 come on, guys. Like, and he's very pantomiming, like, come on. And they're just like, nope. 
fist in the air. <laughs> oh, it is so good. And oh, and geez. also you have uh yeah Vega who has an ankle injury I think who like you know fake ankle injury and then you have Farouk who has a fake shoulder injury I would mm. say or an arm injury of some sort. And as somebody again who hasn't watched what's happened recently, I don't know if they've just rocked up on the day and gone ah I'm not feeling too good and I'll just rip it off and make like the big reveal because like none of the fans bought it. The, even the commentators like oh, of course he hasn't he has, he's not injured or something like that. It was just it was very strange. But Farouk. Farouk is a monster, man. He looks so good. Oh, my God. I love him. Yeah. You forget, especially when you look at the crowd, how much of a super heel um, Farouk was back in 1997. A a nice little touch, too, of JR mentioning his past career and exploits as Ron Simmons, uh, which I thought was a really, really good touch. But also, it also shows you just how dire straits WWE was in 1997 when Farouk is one of the uh, the big players (laughs) there. But, also, they, they Jr. does say um, he says Ahmed is a, a former gang member, and I just, I just for some reason, I just thought straight away. I imagined him like applying to be a WWE superstar and like <laughs> having on his resume is like former occupations. He's like Woolworths. Uh, you know, he's worked at a couple of radio stations. Gang member. Like, it's like where, who's getting this information? Like, the internet's not really a thing back then. Who told him? It's like someone sitting there going, "Now, was that uh, Crips or Bloods?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> oh man. All right, so we've just had the unfortunately, fortunately for us, the nation of domination continues their merry way. Um, then we see a couple more raw highlights. We see a little bit of uh, Vader and Golga and uh, Vader and Goldust, which looks odd seeing them on the Attitude Era Raw set because it's still, it's still, we're still in the sort of transition period. We get a Vader interview with uh, Todd Penningill and. What I thought was really, really good, Simon, and you might have to explain this to Nick, but he brings up the Kuwaiti TV interview. Yeah. So actually, this is um, kind of funny because just before we started recording, Nims, you were showing us your video of World Tour 96. So (laughs) World Tour 96, the WWE went to Kuwait to have the Kuwaiti Cup and Vader was on a Kuwaiti talk show. And the guy was like, "Uh, so wrestling's fake, isn't it? And Vader, like being old school, like grabbed the guy and was like, oh, you think Uh. this is fake? And then Vader was in jail. The rest of the crew flew back to the States and Vader was in a Kuwaiti jail. So that's what the reference was. That's wild. Yeah. So so strange. Yeah. So in other words, um, and may, may, may. May God rest his soul. But Vader, loose cannon, even when he had all of his wits with him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We then get to the actual match. It's Vader versus Ken Shamrock. This is Ken Shamrock's debut match in the WWE. We've already seen him as the enforcer. He's already been uh, involved a little bit in the WWE. Uh, This is the thing that I find very good. Uh, And... Watching watching JR now, you forget that he's a bit of a shell of himself because his commentating is just bang on, making sure he goes through all of Vader's accomplishments. He was really good in Japan, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the best part about this entire thing was Vader actually looks like he's ready to work because we've seen lazy Vader in a couple of uh, previous pay-per-views. But uh, Nick, these are two completely... I'm, I'm assuming you've never seen a Shamrock match outside of his... Uh, things with a rock and you never if you've seen vader it's been peak vader you're never going to see like these matches thrown in his highlights package so what was your first impressions of this one because this is an odd match 
Yeah, like the only I've only seen peak Vader and Vader with one eye sticking out of his eye socket. Like it's it's kind of one or the other. Uh, this is a weird match uh, because like this is kind of like a hybrid MMA match. It's very like it's very much a precursor to like. I don't know. I don't want to say Brock Lesnar matches to feel like people did it before it, but like, yeah, what Brock would end up doing some Ronda Rousey stuff. It's like the crowd are really hot towards the end, but there's some moments in there where they're like, they're not sure how to react because this is like somebody coming in who is from a different world and is clearly kind of still finding his feet and kind of, they're playing to his strengths. They're doing the old, the old fashioned Paul Heyman highlight the, uh, the, the strengths and hide all the weaknesses kind of thing. Mm. And it works really well. And like Vader, as you said, like again, to bring a Brock Lesnar quote in, like, you know, you said that sometimes Vader can come in and almost put in a Brock Lesnar showing and not really care about the match. But uh, it's, he really worked hard here. Um, I love the, the Vader moonsault that, uh, Shamrock tried to get out of the way, but he kind of didn't. <laughs> like they, they sold it as if he missed, but he com- he completely hit Shamrock there. But uh, like, uh, it's pretty crazy to see a guy that big move that well. Yeah, and that was the, one of the highlights of uh, Vader's career that sadly not a lot of people see in his WWE run because after he sort of got kiboshed after his first year in the company, he, he just sort of became a bit of a running joke after that. What I also enjoyed about Ken Shamrock is he went straight into that sort of WWF WrestleMania 2000 on Nintendo 64 shoot fighter stance like, yes, yes. <laughs> which, which is just like okay so that's where they got that from but uh simon we we've talked about how vader is snug with his work at the best of times this just seemed to be like i don't know if, i don't know who told who that this was a shoot <laughs> Well, I think it was perfect. I think Vader didn't have to hold back with a guy like Shamrock. And Shamrock, even from whatever he's heard about Vader being a tough guy and he hits hard, was probably like, yeah, all right, mate. All right, you do your <laughs> you do your wrestling stuff and we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, very ahead of its time. Um, the crowd definitely got into it as it went on. Like, they wanted to love Shamrock. And maybe his robotic promo knocked him down a notch for them. But as the match went on again, they got back into him. One thing that I think helped Shamrock moving forward, though, and was a big part of his presentation, was his awesome theme music, which I didn't realize he didn't have from the start. Because when his music hit, this shocked me. I was like, what the hell is it? This sounded like, you know, game show music. Didn't yeah. suit the world's most dangerous man. So that was, yeah, d- really jarring. If you don't know Ken Shamrock's, like, classic theme, go and listen to it because it's awesome, and this is not it. Very <laughs> iconic too because the 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 that was paired with that big Titantron, you know, the red, the Shamrock, danger, all of this sort of stuff, whereas this was just like, I'm Ken Shamrock. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> this, it was just this was, this was like that WWE, like 2K12 generic wrestler, like uh, yeah. uh, Benny Blaze or whatever his name was. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Baron Blaze, I think it is. Baron Blaze, that's it. Yeah. Sorry, Benny Blaze is his brother. <laughs> so odd, so odd. But uh, um, so Shamrock wins the match by submission. And interestingly, in the crowd, there is a Mike Tyson is a coward sign to which um, to which they zoom in on and JR makes note that like, oh, Tyson's probably watched this and and hasn't, and obviously he's going to back down for any potential fights with Ken Shamrock because now you could probably back me up on this one, Simon. There was actual legitimate talk that WWE was going to promote a Tyson versus Shamrock fight back in the day. Obviously, Tyson just got involved in WrestleMania 14 and his legendary stuff with Austin. So really worked out pretty good. But could you imagine just how the landscape would have changed if that was 
actually came to fruition. Yeah, I think they teased it at a different pay-per-view we watched as well, and then I think we we looked it up, and that was sort of a rumour at the time they were working on mm. the Tyson deal. Ken Shamrock shows up for the first time at WrestleMania 13. A year later, you had Mike Tyson at 14. Yeah, were they thinking of building Shamrock for a year, getting Tyson on board, and that was meant yeah. to be the WrestleMania 14-like marquee freak show match? It would have been huge. Mm. I mean, I'm glad they did with Tyson what they did, but yeah, it's crazy to think that WWE would have had a UFC boxing match on their paper. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been uh, insane uh, if that ever happened. But, you know, it seemed to work out pretty good for him. <laughs> we then we then get to our little uh, pre-match before the, the main event. And something that we've, we've neglected to mention throughout this uh, entire podcast is there's five empty seats in the front <laughs> row, uh, which the Hart Foundation have bought from scalpers. Yep. JR is very quick to point out these weren't acquired legally. They were bought from scalpers. <laughs> but... Um, but they have been sold to the entire Hart Foundation and Brian Pillman. They don't include Brian Pillman in the Hart Foundation for some reason here. but uh, And that is going to be a big, big part of the main event, which is Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. Now, Stone Cold is just ballistic off the charts when it comes to popularity here. He's still a heel, though. He's still relatively treated like a bit of a heel in terms of commentary and whatnot. But we are seeing... We are definitely seeing the rise of a superstar. And as you mentioned, Nick, you, you were a rock guy growing up and, you know, you tuned in when Austin was at his peak as a heel with the, you know, with the disturbed uh, theme, all of that sort of presentation and stuff like that. What did you think when you saw just how massive, remember, this isn't peak Austin yet either. Yeah. Yeah. So he's on the rise. So what did you think of first impressions? Uh, it was huge. It was like, it was a really fascinating match because I, sh- I assumed that this, when I saw it on paper, it was going to be a face versus face match. And like the pop that Austin gets is huge. Like Taker, throughout the whole match, take everything Taker does gets a massive pop as well. It's a weird matchup because I've always seen uh, Stone Cold and Undertaker. They never really meshed well, I didn't think as well. And I don't know if this is their best match together. I, I, I really enjoyed this main event. I had, a, I had a lot of fun with this, but it is a weird one. I also want to point out, I didn't know that when you bought tickets from scalpers, you were allowed to come through the entrance ramp. I assume you have to come from outside of, the, outside of the stadium, but obviously maybe they got a VIP ticket where you could just come down the entrance ramp whenever you want. And Brian Pillman is fantastic. I love him. He, try, he threatened to hit people with, the, with his crutch all the way down the ramp. He was just like literally like threatening to hit people. It was fantastic. It was insane how they sort of set this up too. Undertaker, I'm guessing this is this is one of the the first of his many what would then become uh, very much a hallmark of his 58 hour long entrances because he sure <laughs> as hell takes his time getting to the ring. Uh it's it's it, and the best part is too which I love. You get the old fashioned Austin smack talk like yeah. The, the the bit of the um the WWF attitude on PlayStation Two, sorry on PlayStation One where they did the pre match, just mouth off at each other. But the cool thing was, I just loved that Austin just gets straight into the straight into the fight. So much so that the Undertaker still in his entrance attire and he still got the belt on too. Like Simon, if that's not one of the coolest things you'll ever see, and that really summed up Austin, I don't know what is. Yeah, I think that was a huge moment for Austin because you know at this point and you know for years later, the Undertaker is untouchable. You don't mess with anything he does. 
And Austin's like, I don't care that you're still basically in your entrance animation. I'm just going to start fighting you. You haven't even gotten undressed or unbelted yet. I think he kicks him in the belt at one point, which is funny. (laughs) And it's just such an Austin thing. So important for his character to be like, yeah, I don't even care about The Undertaker. Like, it was awesome. Um, Austin's on a roll here. Like, I think we've seen him end every pay-per-view for a few months now. He doesn't end WrestleMania 13. He might as well have. Like, him and Brett was the real main event. So they're on board with Austin. It's Austin all the way. They're figuring out how to, you know, they know you want to cheer him, but they're not telling you he's a good guy yet. He's sort Mm. of in real tweener mode, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's so cool how they do this too. It also helps that the Hart Foundation is really, really dastardly here as well too. We hear how King is just fully on board the Hearts now, and oh, I thought it was very cool. JR throws back to the Brett versus Lawler feud from three years prior where Brett made him kiss his feet, which is very funny. But um, JR's, like, I just absolutely love when Undertaker gets kicked in the nuts by Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> JR is just so outraged that this happened. It is so cool. And then Undertaker returns serve and it turns into like, you know, AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura <laughs> from uh, WrestleMania. <laughs> but uh, it, it's so, so cool. And also, the, the, the match is, uh, it's a back and forth. The crowd is so hot for it. And Austin does the stunner. He's finally putting in the kick to the gut here too. So we're getting that that final polish on Austin. Two things that have really stood out in doing this, Simon, is that we noticed the rise, the ever-gradual rise and polish of Austin in the WWF and DDP in WCW. So what do you think of the finish here? Because Austin does the stunner, and before he can get the pin, Brian Pillman rings the bell. Like This is a pretty unique um, finish to the match. Yeah, look, the the ending was great. That was probably the highlight of the match. Before we get to the ending, though, there was just a couple of things I want to point out. King uses the line, if Austin was president, the national bird would be the finger. If anyone ever played the SmackDown games over the years, that line is burnt into your brain because that's a line (laughs) they kept in every game for about 10 years. When he said that, I I was like, oh, my God, I'm playing the game again. (laughs) Um, Another thing that was weird, JR mentioned that The Undertaker is from Death Valley, but JR taking everything too far. He's like, oh, The Undertaker from Death Valley in California. It's like, whatever. Death Valley just sounds cool. You never attribute that to a state. You don't have to get geographical. (laughs) Like, JR always has to be, like, too correct, and it Mm. ruins it. And then at one point, Austin does an STF. And JR's like, oh, an STF. And King's like, what? I've never heard of that. I did some research. The STF was Luthez's finishing move. (laughs) Luthez predates the King by like 20 years. Why is King pretending like he doesn't know what an STF is? Anyway. But yes, the ending was good. The ending, it was so, so good here too. And the cool little uh, tombstone on Austin as well uh, is pretty good. And the heart storm, the ring, attack taker. Um, And it's it's really, really good. And it's such an insane finish. And as you mentioned, Simon, it's another pay-per-view where Austin ends the evening on top, even after he's lost. And uh, Nick, what was your impressions of the entire presentation here with taking into account even the heart's interference and all that sort of stuff? 
it felt very attitude era to an absolute T with all the interference and all the, all the moving parts. And like, you know, when people talk about like peak, they call like Russo attitude era, where there's just so many things moving on. I'm assuming was, was Russo involved in any of the, around this time or is this pre Russo? He's probably I getting think, into it by this point. I'd say, I think there's, some, I think there are still some sort of, uh, he's probably got a little bit of influence, but it's not as much as you would see in like yeah. 1998, because remember he was, he's still Vic Venom and he's still doing like live wire and stuff here. So he's clearly got a little bit of dabble and his, his whole thing was, you know, um, short, sharp, so, and family feud. So the fact that the heart foundation most of the things you can remember from the Heart Foundation are their out-of-ring stuff compared to their in-ring stuff. I'm going to say that there's a dabble of Vince there, as yeah. in Vince Russo, but it's probably heavily filtered. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, probably the best type is heavily filtered mm. to Vince Russo, isn't it? Uh, but there, there is so much to like. I really I really enjoyed this match. I had a lot of fun with it. I love the the sleeper hold into the stunner, kind of like a mod. It was like a modified. It's like when you do a, mm. a moonsault from the second rope instead of the top rope, because sometimes people do that because they can't, they don't have the time to get to the top rope. I don't know. I've seen, Evan, seen uh, Neville do that a couple of times back in the day uh, I, I love how miserable Bret Hart looks he looks like such an annoying he looks like such an annoying person like if you saw him at barbecue you'd avoid him at all costs kind of thing he's that kind of guy he, he always looks like a bit of a I don't know he doesn't look like he's a very nice person Brett I wouldn't want to have a, 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 a chat with him uh, I love how hard um take a spikes Austin's head on the tombstone like mm. it gets to a point where I'm like oh my god that looks very Owen Hart as uh, Owen Hart doing the tombstone to Austin which was before or after this time guys after, after, after. So, so when like there's bits like when Austin reverses that when Taker and Austin have that little tombstone reversal yeah. um, session, you're just kind of like, oh, geez, mate. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know what's coming up here at this point in time. It's only but, uh, three months before it happens. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. So. <laughs> And uh, also, you have to, like when the when the Hart Foundation comes in, Jr. calling them a pack of dogs is just the best thing ever. Like peak Jr. voice, it's so so good. And then um, Austin tips Bret Hart over on the wheelchair, and he just like, it's just like tipping cows or something like that's so good. When Owen Hart try, um, someone pulls Owen Hart over. I think Austin does beats him up for a little bit. Undertaker throws Austin to the stairs and then continues to beat up Owen Hart. It's like what what did Owen do? Like poor him. Like and the thing is, obviously, if he if he throws a punch, it's a DQ. So he has to like stand there and pretend like he's not, he's too hurt to do anything. And then he gets thrown back over the, like to his chair. It's just like, it's a lot of fun. Like there's a lot of moving parts here, but there's a lot of fun. And um, as I said, I don't know if these two ever had like, you know, five-star chemistry, like uh, like a lot of Austin had with a lot of people and take out with a lot of people. But this is, this is probably the best match matchup I've seen of Taker and Austin. Sadly for, for two guys that have had like such a, such like you know an entire laundry list of great matches their matches that they've had together just don't seem to have been anything of note like and some of that is completely not their fault uh like for a, a glaring example is over the edge 1999 where um they're in the main event and you can tell both of them do not want to be there both are visibly shaken undertaker especially just looks like he could break at any point in time. Austin doesn't even do like his full spiel. He just runs straight into the ring. They just get straight into the match. So there's, I will give them like, sometimes they're just a victim of circumstance, but you're right. They never quite have had like, you know, like, oh, you know, you can always think of that mankind um, from mind games. Like that's such a great match that he's had with Sean because you don't often pit those two guys together. You you can 
name an entire plethora of Shawn Michaels and Undertaker matches together, just excluding their WrestleMania ones. There's so many good dance partners, but you can never find one that's good between Austin and Taker, unfortunately. But uh, unless you Simon, one. can you think of one? I'll yeah? give you one. I was just yep. looking through their list of matches. The one that I think is the best, the one from SummerSlam 98 is really good because it's in Madison Square Garden and, you know, the crowd's yeah. into it. But Austin gets a concussion there, so that yeah, match is yeah. cursed too. The best one they had, I was trying to figure out which pay-per-view it is, fully loaded 99. It's a first blood match. And yep. it is the best match they had on okay. pay-per-view. Okay, it goes cool. for about 15 minutes. They beat the hell out of each other. Even Dave Melter, if you give a sh- crap about his ratings, even <laughs> he gave it three and three-quarter stars. It's oh, better than go. that. It's really good. But anyway, just to put it into perspective, how many times these guys wrestled, on pay-per-view, not counting Raw and SmackDown and house shows, on pay-per-view, they wrestled 15 times. <laughs> This is the second of 15 matches. So, look, they had all the chances in the world. You would think they would do better than three and three-quarter stars. Anyway, there's some good ones in there, but 15, I'm pretty sure that's the record. That's mm-hmm. wild. I guess both. I guess neither of them were around when both of them were in their peak because Austin peaked at a certain time. Taker peaked. I don't. A lot of people have different eras of when they fought. Pe- Taker peaked, but probably from an in-ring standpoint, it was probably like that. I don't know, mid two thousand, mid to late two thousands. He was just I'd, churning out bangers. I'd probably say American Badass Taker is the best Taker because he doesn't have to do any of the stupid zombie stuff. He, he's just a dude. He's yeah. just a dude. So he can actually get away with doing all this cool sort of stuff. Well, actually, like, they, they did wrestle in that era. Yeah, that but was Austin, the, the but one Austin's the got Rick dodgy Lamb. knees though at the moment. <laughs> yeah, Austin's on yeah. the way Austin's, down. Austin is very much on the way down, not just physically, but mentally he's checked out as well too. Like yeah. he had all those personal issues and whatnot. So they're just they're just two guys that are never meant to line up. And mm. uh yeah, it it's it's very, very strange there. But look, let's put put some uh, closing thoughts on this pay for you because I, I really, really enjoy this. But um I'll start off with you, Nick, because this is yes. your first uh, introduction into a pre-Attitude Era um, sort of pay-per-view and an in-your-house. So what were your th- takeaways from this? Um, I, I think a lot of it is very – it's very raw. Um, it's very – not the show, but just raw, <laughs> raw in general. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I guess I'll put this to you guys. Like, we're, we're in-your-house vid- uh, pay-per-views kind of like – mini pay-per-views were they considered full-blooded like SummerSlam WrestleMania pay-per-views or were they kind of like little half pay-per-views like how, how was it looking back these are they're filler pay-per-views essentially yeah. now this is the last no this is the second last before they just all that go right let's just do three hour pay-per-views after this because okay. in your because it was always the big four pay-per-views which was WrestleMania SummerSlam um Survivor Series and Royal Rumble always that and then as WCW increased pay per views, WWE like, well, I guess we better throw in something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Put in there. Uh, then they became the. But at first, they were just in your house, like just in your house one, in your house two. Then they started getting the themes, like you know, buried alive, da da da, uh, a cold day in hell, all that sort of stuff. And then finally, as we get to Canadian Stampede after this, yes. Ground Zero, following that, just like let's just put pay per views, all of them. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I also want to go, uh, there's a dark match after the show went off the air, which was the Legion of Doom versus Owen Hart and the British Bulldog, which uh, was fought to a disqualification in five minutes, guys. So that one didn't didn't make the pay-per-view. And the one beforehand was uh, Rockabilly versus, with the Honky Tonk Man, sorry, versus uh, Jesse James, which ended in three and a half minutes. So maybe that those two matches would have pushed it past the two-hour mark. But uh, luckily we got, I think we got like an hour 45, hour 50 pay-per-view. And um, I, it's all, you know, in a, in an era that, you know, pay-per-views were going, you know, WrestleManias go for 17 hours these days. It's kind of, uh, it's a breath, breath of fresh air. And it was obviously a pay-per-view that felt like it was built on the, two, the last two matches. It felt like those were the main two. Um, the crowd seemed to care the most about those. It's cool seeing people like Triple H and The Rock and that being, you know, kind of before they started to peak. and just kind players. of seeing, yeah. Yeah, and just seeing like little glimpses of what would be, you know, and that's kind of the cool thing. It's like seeing a seeing an athlete kind of show a glimpse of uh, potential and then years later they become the superstar and you can kind of identify those points. Same with a musician or a band. And uh, I, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun um, watching this. I, I actually, I forgot to mention... Um, one thing that the King said, I imagine you're know, at the start of a pay-per-view uh, you, you have Ken Shamrock and he has his, his wife and his kids like sitting down and watching the pay-per-view and the King goes um, essentially says, I hope that um, Ken Shamrock's kids and wife aren't watching because Vader's going to kill him. Now I imagine them watching um, that on, on his couch and just kind of going, ah, oh, well, I, I, maybe kids should go to bed tonight because we're, like King telling them pretty much go away. This isn't going to end well for your husband. Yeah. Probably not the best way to go for King it. King really hated Ken Shamrock. He also <laughs> said at one point, I wish Ken Shamrock was born in the gladiator times. That way he'd be dead by now. <laughs> Yeah, King King didn't hold back back then, so <laughs> geez Louise. Uh, so, Simon, what were some of your takeaways from uh, In Your House, A Cold Day in Hell? Uh, well, the big one that JR cares too much about things that no one else does. Um, <laughs> King really was super offensive on this show, but it was kind of entertaining. The big thing for me was that, yeah, Austin is so close, like, this is it. They're going full steam ahead. He's main evented every pay-per-view. He's had a title match now, and it's Austin all the way. Like, that was a big takeaway. Yeah, he really is the MVP of the show. They, they really run that thread through. And the, what's also slightly melancholy is, especially after watching and being a fan of Bret Hart over all the years, is just how little Bret is becoming relevant here. Like... He's so bang, he's so on the way out, and we pointed out something pretty damn interesting um, when we did when we watched the Royal Rumble, Nick. That um, Royal Rumble 1997, there's a there's a bit there's a sequence where in the ring you've got Bret Hart, Mankind, uh, I think Taker's in there as well. You've got Sid, The Rock, Rocky Movea, um Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and there's someone and one other person. Oh, yeah, Fake Diesel. Fake Diesel is in the ring at this yeah. point in time. Now, that's at the start of 1997. When you look at where all of those guys end up at the end of 1997, it is so weird. Yeah. Uh, I was Fake Diesel doing big things. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who would have thought out of all of those guys in that ring that Fake Diesel is the one that's going to carry us into the into uh, the new millennium and onwards? But uh, hey, look, I, I I can't fault you guys either. Look, this pay per view 
has the great benefit of being an in-your-house one, meaning that, like, if you have two bad matches, which, let's face it, you had two bad matches in this card, uh, although you could extend that the, the the technically, even though the Ahmed Johnson Nation match was one bad match, it was three bad matches <laughs> rolled into one bad match. Yeah. Um, it was short, it was to the point, and the stuff that delivered, delivered in spades. So, yeah, this gun gets a solid thumbs up from me too. But, uh, Nick, man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for jumping on board. It's been a cool little perspective to have. And if any of our listeners out there want to find you on the socials or on uh, to find any of your work or your latest podcast, where can we have a look-see? Yeah, um, thank you guys for having me. It's been it's been a lot of fun. It's fun like looking back at this kind of era, and yeah, you can kind of look back and like those rose tinted glasses. Even though I wasn't even a part of it, it just feels like it feels cool. Like you get a bit of a warm feeling, and just seeing how it was a, it was a simpler time. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find a uh, Backbone Takeover on Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook, um, BackboneTakeover.com.au. You can obviously on Apple Music and on Spotify and on the podcast app and on Stitcher and whatever else people listen to podcasts on. I'm not sure if there any uh, does does title have a podcast thing i don't think so i asked jay-z he hasn't got back to me yet uh but yeah thank you guys so much yeah it was me. left on red yeah, no, he's trying to sell his he's trying to sell his stock on title at the moment so he's not really taking any questions <laughs> no man it's been an absolute pleasure and uh simon we, we are it looks like as jay i would say business is about to pick up and um I, it's as weird as this sounds i am quite looking forward to seeing what fresh hell WCW have to dish up for us uh, for Slamboree. Yeah, we are in the midst of the era of WCW that I can't tell you what happens anymore. Like, <laughs> WCW, where it's still good. The pay-per-views are good in 97, but I have no idea of, like, the order of things anymore because WCW... Yeah. 96 is sort of easy to track and easy to remember, but 97 onwards, no idea. So every pay-per-view we go into feels new. And Nick, we're going to have to get you down the line on a WCW episode because they are a whole different level. It's yeah. funny because I never watched WCW. I remember my one of my friends having um, a WCW paper. Uh, would have been a VHS. It was um, it was an outdoor one. They all they were all on Harley's. I can't remember what the pay per view was. Oh, but, big hog wild or road. Yeah, wild I think like it that. was. Yeah. yeah, it was that. And uh, and I remember watching this. And I don't know why I had some sort of allegiance as an eight year old to um to <laughs> WWE. But I was like, nah, this isn't. I don't know these guys. I don't know who this Sting guy is. He's weird. Why has he got face paint on? I'd rather watch the dead guy walk down the ring and take twenty minutes. Like, like, you know, like just the weird things you do in your head, the weird gymnastics you do to kind of prove that your guy's the better guy. One of the fun things too about WCW in that era. Uh, so I love that. So Hogwild 1996, Hogwild 96 still has Hogan on the front of the cover in red and yellow on on a Harley Davidson, even though he's well into the NWO by now. <laughs> and the other cool thing too is NWO sold out in 1997 to start off the year has the the poster is Hall Nash um, six park Hogan and the giant, even though the fact that the giant has left the NWO two months ago and he's in the main event against the NWO. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes WCW just got a WCW. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Keep it that way, Nick. Don't watch WCW. We're just going to put the call out one day in a few months and be like, yeah. watch this show. And that, that's yeah. how so it works. I want to, I want to come in as blind as possible. <laughs> yeah. So I can just kind of be like, what is happening guys? Probably yeah, watching the show blind would make it better too. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, look, this has been another big edition of Free Living the War. As always, if you want to follow what we're doing, head to the socials at GreyWolfENT. Uh, you can find that on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the good stuff, and even the bad stuff too as well. You can follow my personal account at DocNims on Twitter. You can follow Simon at Simon Tackler on Twitter as well. But until Slamboree 1997, this has been Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.